Let's get to our sermon today. It's our last in the series about Christ. Jesus, supreme over the church. Colossians 1, 18 to 20. The word of God reads, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for that we get to study who you are, especially right before Easter. It sets us up perfectly, God, to think about who you are and all that you did for us. And so, God, we pray that you use this text today to speak to us and to show us clearly who you are. And Father, we pray that that picture will just change everything. Um, We need you, God, so badly. So come and speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, just like I said, this sermon is the last sermon in this in, in this series, this three-part series about just revealing who Jesus is. And I hope it's been helping you a lot. I hope you've been not only enjoying it, but I hope it it's really helping you see who Christ is and what he did for us very, very clearly. You know, and I hope that who Jesus is and what he's done really serves to reorient your whole life to be about him and to make him supreme over not only us, but even today over the church. You know, a clearer picture of Jesus is what humanity needs the most. And I really believe that if people just saw who he was clearly, people would really turn to him. And so I hope that's what's happening in our hearts and in our church you know, as well. A few weeks ago, just to recap, we learned that Jesus came as the image of God in order to restore us once again to be God's image. Last week, we learned that Jesus is supreme over creation so that he could extend the fullness of God into creation and especially into us. Christ is the beginning. He is the end. Therefore, everything and everyone in between is about him and for him. Jesus is supreme over creation. Today, we're going to end with Jesus being supreme over the church, which really is just the logical conclusion of it all, isn't it, right? If Jesus is supreme over all of creation, then of course he's supreme over the church. So the question is, why dedicate a whole passage? Why dedicate a whole sermon to this? And the answer, once again, is because there are some very powerful and personal implications of Jesus Christ being supreme over the church, which I think we're going to really enjoy together today. So let's keep it lean and simple. Jesus is supreme over the church for two reasons. The reason why he's supreme over the church is number one, because of his resurrection. And number two, because of our reconciliation. Okay, this is what Jesus is about. So let's look at that together, our, his resurrection. Colossians 1.18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. You know, all throughout the Bible, sin and death are very intimately linked. You know, every time you see, a lot of times when you see sin, death is always like right there next to it. And there's so many verses that describe their their connection and their relationship with each other, but there's no verse that's clearer Then Romans 6.23, this is the relationship between sin and death. Romans 6.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. You guys like the new verse format, how you can now see, like, you can still see me. 
And yet you can still see the person. We're, we're trying our best. We're trying our best. Okay. We're improving. Join the media team. You know? Uh, but this verse says the relation between sin and death very, very clear. It says the wage of sin is death. Wage. What's a wage? Wage is a payment, right? If you work an hour, you get paid 20 bucks an hour, whatever it is. That's your wage. Therefore, what this verse is saying is that if you have sin, death is your payment. Right? That's what it's saying very, very clearly. Sin causes death. And the, and the death that this verse is talking about is not just a physical death. Yes, you will die physically because of sin, but it's talking about a spiritual death. Okay? If you have sin, you also die spiritually. Sin not only separates us from a holy God, but it also earns us eternal punishment in hell spiritually. That's what this verse is saying. This is not a good way to start a sermon, is it, right? On a, on a Sunday afternoon, on a rainy day. But it is. And this is why it is. Because when you look at the beginning of this verse, it says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. And in the Greek culture, do you know what they always read head to be? Whenever they saw the word head, head always represented not only like the ruler of an organization, but head always in every situation represented the source of life, the source of direction, and the source of purpose. So when it specifically says here that Christ is the head of the church, what it's saying is that Christ came to give us life, to give us direction, and to give us purpose. Christ came to give all that to those who are separated from God because of their sins, right? And so what it's saying is this is a verse that's declaring that Jesus is supreme so that we could be saved, saved from our sin. Saved from an eternal punishment in hell. Saved so that we could experience the fullness of God in Christ. But when you read this verse, you know, like you, that personalness isn't there, right? He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn among the dead. So then everything he might have, the supremacy. It sounds like it's a verse that's simply declaring the majesty and the supremacy of Christ. But the thing is, this verse is given to us, and the goal of this verse is given to us, not so that we can appreciate Christ from afar. But the thrust of this verse is so that we could make it very, very personal. Right? We are meant to receive it personally. You were created to be saved. You were created to have eternal life. You were created to experience the fullness of all that God is. In Christ. And that's what this verse is saying. How? By receiving life, direction, and purpose from Christ alone. We can only experience all of those things when we are truly Christ, when He is supreme over our lives. Isn't that amazing? Yes. You know, but it also has corporate implications as well. Okay, and that's the, that's really the bigger thrust of this verse when he talks about the body, the church. Last week we said that Jesus is supreme in order for him to extend all of God's fullness into creation. Here it's saying that Jesus is supreme over the church so that people can be saved. So if we were to combine these two ideas together, because it really is one big passage that I broke up but what it's meant to be seen together, if we combine those two things, what it is saying is this. It's saying that the fullness of Christ has now been extended into the church so that the church now can be the place that carries out God's purposes in creation, right? If I were to say that a little more simply, God created the church 
solely to reveal Christ and to fulfill his redemptive purposes in creation. Did that help? Is that simple? More simple? Is that just more complex? God created the church so that people could be saved. God created the church so that Christ could be revealed. And so that people could see Christ and be like, oh my God, I need God, I need Christ, and be saved. That's why Christ or God created the church. And that is what every church, especially ours, that's what every church is meant to be all about. Solely. That's the only mission. That's the only reason why God created the church. To reveal Christ and to reveal Christ so powerfully so that when people see it, they'd be like, damn, I need Jesus. That's it. I don't know if he said damn, but you know, <laughs> you know, but that's what it's supposed to be. About. You know what that means? That means every single time you step into this sanctuary, every single time you step into this place, you should be convinced that that's what we're all about. On the organizational level, on the personal level, you should be like, oh man, this is a church that's so that's totally serious about revealing Christ and fulfilling its redemptive purpose in Christ. That's what we should be about. Every church. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully, that's what we are all about. Not partially, but all about. Now, um, I'm going to keep it real for one second, or maybe for one minute. Um, and I don't want to get into this too deeply, so I'll keep it simple. When someone asks, like, hey, what's the church all about? I think there's two types of answers you can give. There's the, there's the ideal answer, the theological answer I just kind of shared with you. And then there's like the real life answer. Do you know what I'm talking about? The, 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 the correct answer is like, oh, the church exists to reveal Christ and to you know, fulfill the redemptive purposes of God in Christ, right? That's the real answer. That's the, that's, the, that's the right answer. But if you were to look upon, you know, for some of us, not all of us, if you were to look upon like your past 20 years or 30 years of church, what would you say the church is about? And that might be the more quote unquote real life answer. And what does that real life answer sound like? Maybe things like, oh, the way, what I saw in the church was, it was all about keeping people happy. It's all about making sure that people don't leave and we'll do whatever it takes so that people won't leave. It's all about positions. It's all about titles. It's all about making sure that we don't shut down or, the, or that we're financially viable. It's all about making people feel guilty so that they'll serve more. You know, And there's so many things that the church can be about. And I'm not going to talk about any of those things today, even though I mentioned them. I'm not going to talk about them. But all I want to say is this. You know, the church loses its integrity. The church loses its spiritual power. The church loses its credibility. But most importantly, the church loses its purpose when we fail to make the church all about revealing Christ and making sure that we're, we're trying to do everything that we can to fulfill the redemptive purposes of God in Christ as a church. You know, especially in our generation, I feel like we have this opportunity to make the church anything we want it to be. Do you know what I'm saying? Maybe people in the past, they had to do whatever they needed to do to survive, but we don't, we're not in that situation. We can literally make our church anything that we want it to be. And so we can actually make the church everything that God meant it to be, if we choose to do that. And that's what I want to invite you into, and that's the whole reason why I'm sharing all this, is I want you to really be like, man, you know, I really want the church that I go to 
to really be about revealing Christ. If that's what God said the church is all about. I want the church that I go to to be all about fulfilling the redemptive purposes in Christ. If that's what God said that this church and every church is supposed to be about. But in order to do that, we need to make every part of our church about that, don't we? And it starts with the leaders. You know? All of our leaders must live redemptively. Must do everything that we can to make sure that our organization really is about Christ. Every CG, every event, every meeting, whatever it is, that we make it about revealing Christ and revealing the or living out the redemptive purposes of God in Christ. Right? And that's not easy. And not only that, but if we really want to make it real, then our leaders especially need to be living redemptively within their lives. Not only inside the church, but outside the church. But that's not easy. And this includes myself as well. And that's why all of us as a church need to pray for our leaders. It's not that it's just a command. It's because we need it. You know, we're human beings just like you guys. We get tempted just like you guys. We get off track just like you guys. But we need your prayers so that we stay on track. The prayers, you know, the prayers when we talked about at the beginning of Colossians, there's all that, all those prayers. Go back and review those and pray those for our leaders because we need them. Because we need them to stay on track. If our leaders are not on track, then you know something? We become an organization that's all talk and no action. We're all like, the mission is nice, but that's not who we really are. And then we all become hypocrites. That's not good. So you need you guys to pray for our leaders. But you know what, you know what we also need? We need all of you to be living redemptively as well. You know, we need all of you to be living as image bearers of God as well. And the moment that all of us begin to reorient our lives, to show this world how amazing Christ is, that's when our church will be used by God to extend his fullness into this world in ways that, man, we can only imagine. And that's what we were meant to be, right? I want to be part of that kind of church, but it takes all of us. So can you guys do me a favor? This is what I'm going to ask you to do, okay? From this day forward, will you promise that you will commit yourself to making this church a church that's focused on those things alone, revealing Christ and the redemptive purposes of God? There's always going to be the temptation to make it anything else, but can you promise me that you will help us stay focused? Exactly how am I supposed to do that, Eddie Bang? Well, can you do this? Can you make sure, number one, on the personal level, that you try with everything that you have to live for God? If you call yourself a Christian, will you get serious about revealing Christ through your life as an image bearer of God? Will you be serious about in your life about seeing other people come to Christ through you? That's what you were created for. That's what God wanted to do through you and the church. Can you do that personally in your life? And then when it comes to the church on a corporate level, can you do this? Can you pray for people? And then if you decide to come to like a service one day, or even if you go online, will you pray or will you come to church to worship Christ alone? Will you come to just worship, to show Christ how worthy he is just to receive all of our praise, no matter what type of week we had, you know? And then if you see your brother or sister struggling, instead of judging them, will you be committed to building them and loving them and focusing them upon the mission that God has for them? Will you do that? This, this is what we need. If you see something wrong, don't complain. Instead of complaining, pray for that and pray for them 
and seek to build and encourage them and focus them upon things that God has in store for them and for our church. This is the church we need to build, don't you think? That's like legit. And that's the church exactly that God defines that we're supposed to be about. And that's why he created the church. Let's be that together, okay? Uh, Oh my goodness, I didn't even talk about the resurrection yet. Okay, let's get to it. You know, this verse says that Christ is the beginning and the... Before I get there, you know what I'm talking about. Church can be about so many things. But the reason why it becomes about so many things is because we allow it to. Okay? Look, we're all human. We're all emotional. We all have our own opinion and thinking. I I totally honor that and recognize that. But let's not make the same mistakes of the past. And let's really be a church. Let's choose to be a church that wants to be all that God designed us to be. Okay? Cool? All right, let's move on. Resurrection. You know, this verse says that Christ is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. We already talked about those two words, beginning and firstborn, in the previous sermon. But what does it mean here? But for them to put that, those two words in the exact same sentence, this is what it's saying. It's saying that Jesus is the first to be resurrected so that he could be the beginning of many more to be resurrected later. That's exactly what it's saying, you know? His resurrection proves that we will be resurrected later after we die. On this, on this earth, right? And so not only did Jesus come to give life, direction, and purpose to those who are separated from God because of their sins, but he came to reassure us of our resurrection as well. And he did all that so that we as a church can live as image bearers, right? The icons of God, empowered by the fullness of all that God is so that we can point people to Jesus. Do you see how it all comes together? It's all one passage. That's how it all comes together. Jesus Christ is the head of the church so that we as the church can point others to Christ as we live out his redemptive purposes together as one. This is what it's saying. And I, but here's what's really interesting. As amazing as that truth is and as, as eternal as that truth is, that's not the, re- the main reason why. You know, Jesus Christ is the head, the beginning, and the firstborn in the resurrection. The end of verse 18 says that he's all those things so that he might have the supremacy. Isn't that kind of curious? So that he, the language here, so that he might have the supremacy. Wait, hold up, Betty. I thought he had, he already has the supremacy. I thought he's already supreme. Why does it say so that he might have do supremacy. Does he not fully have it? Did you like lie to us? What's happening here? And here's what's exactly happening. There are two reasons why it says might have. And the first is this. The reality is that not everything in the world is under or fully under the supremacy of Christ. Sin still exists, right? So there's still sin in this world. Not everything lives purely for the glory of Christ. We don't even live purely for the glory of Christ. But one day it all will, right? So even though he's supreme, he is supreme, his supremacy in the world is not fully yet. Do you guys get that? But one day, every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, it's gonna happen one day, but not yet. That's the first reason. Secondly, and maybe more personally, yes, Jesus has a supremacy. He is supreme over creation and the whole church, but he has yet to be supreme in our lives, right? So it's a very personal thing. Christ came fully as the image of God so that he could restore us, 
and to extend the fullness of God into us and to save us eternally. But the thing is, it's not until those truths become everything to us that we begin to realize that his proper place within our lives is to be our king and is to be supreme, right? It's not until he becomes everything to us that he becomes supreme over us. And the beauty of this week-by-week church thing is if you don't get it, let me tell you, Jesus is constantly waiting for each one of us to realize that and to come to that amazing realization of his supremacy. And so he waits every single week until we not only realize that, but so that we can come to repentance and actually make him supreme over our lives. And when we do, that's when his supremacy manifests most visibly in our lives and in the church. Okay? And that's why he came, so that we could see him clearly, understand his life and his death and resurrection clearly. And hopefully in response, we'll make him supreme, not only over our lives, but especially the church. Secondly, he's supreme over the church because of our reconciliation. Verses 19 to 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood on the cross. There is so much to unpack here, okay? First, it says that God was pleased to fully dwell in Christ. And the reason why wasn't because he loved just dwelling in Jesus, but the reason why is because his pleasure, he was so pleased to dwell fully in Christ in order to reconcile all of creation back to him. Let's look at these, let's look at these verses in depth. It says, for God to use this word reconcile in verse 19 means that a relationship was broken. That's why that's the only reason why you use the word reconcile. A relationship was broken. For him to use the word peace in verse 20 not only means that a relationship was broken, but people are at war, right? Our scripture says that because of sin, we are enemies of God. And therefore, not only is our relationship with God broken, but we are actually currently at war with God. The word blood in verse 20, indicates that a blood sacrifice had to be made to pay the penalty of sins. And the cross at the end of verse 20 was the most humiliating and shameful way to die. It was also the most brutal way to die 2,000 years ago. What does all that mean? It means that even though this whole world was corrupted and disordered and ravaged by sin, Nothing will stop God from reconciling it. That's all it's saying. Nothing's going to stop God from reconciling this world back to him. All of his creation will fulfill its destiny and its purpose, you know, to worship and to glorify Christ. And God is invested fully into the renewal and the restoration of all things, especially us. That's what this verse is saying. That's why it was his pleasure to put all of himself into Christ so that Christ could pay the wages of that sin upon the cross. So that Christ could perfectly satisfy the wrath of God for all of those sins. So that Christ could defeat the power and all the consequences of sin and death through his crucifixion, resurrection once and for all. Christ came to eradicate all that separated us from God, separated all of creation from God 
that made us enemies of God and that everything that prevented us from actually living for God so that we might be reconciled to him. But in order to do that, Christ had to choose this pathway of shame. Christ had to choose, you know, this pathway of humiliation and die the most brutal death that a man could die 2,000 years ago. Why? And this is the whole reason. He did all that to prove to us, to prove to us that God's purposes in Christ and in redemption is not to judge or to destroy or to punish, but to love and to renew and to restore. The whole reason for all of these three messages about Jesus Christ is so that you could be convinced that even though you have sin and deserve an eternal punishment in hell, God couldn't stand that. And he could have told us the story, but instead he decided to send his son to prove to us how much that you are loved. And he sacrificed his son upon the cross to pay for that penalty that separated you from God that separated you from an eternity with him, that separated you from truly experiencing the fullness of who God is in your life, which is what you were created for. And so that's how, why now, 2,000 years later, we can just read this story in Scripture. We can read it in our history books. And we know that this God, the Son, Jesus Christ, came down and paid the penalty for our sins so that it could prove to us how much God loves us. That is the whole point. Do you guys get that? You know, when I was in middle school, I remember one time I got a 95 on a math exam. And I was so proud. I took it home. But you know what my uh, Asian parent or my Korean parent or my Korean dad did? Did he praise me? (laughs) No. You know, I got beaten that night. You know, I got beat that night because I didn't get 100. And then I said, I don't understand. I thought 95 is not bad. He goes, it's not 100. And so uh, he, he beat me so that I could get 100 on the next, next math exam. That makes no sense to us, but it makes sense to first-gen Koreans. <laughs> well, let me ask you a question. If God was my father, what do you think he would have done? You know what he would have done? He would have sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, Not so that I could get a hundred on the next exam, but so that I could be convinced that I'm always a hundred in his eyes. That's reconciliation. You know what I'm saying? God loves you. Your reconciliation was so valuable to him that he didn't hesitate to send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you you and your sins and everything that separated you from it, from him on the cross, you know? And that's why the name of Jesus really is the name above all names. It's because he died and resurrected to eradicate everything that stood in the way of us and God. He died and resurrected to reconcile all of creation back to its original purpose, to make us 100 in his eyes so that we could live as his image bearers as the church. This is why Jesus is supreme over the church. You know, as we close our series together, you know, my prayer is very, very simple. 
You know, I really pray that you just continually see how worthy Christ is to be supreme, supreme over the world, supreme over your life. And I also pray that you realize that it is only when we, when we are fully, when we live fully under his supremacy, that we have any chance of experiencing the fullness of all God created us to be and wants to be within each one of our lives. We were created in him, through him, and for him, so that in all that we are, we might bear his image. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is what it means to be saved. Let's pray. You know, if you want to be a Christian today and surrender your life fully under the supremacy of Christ, if you want to commit yourself to live as his image bearer from this day forward, all you need to do is to put your faith and trust in what Jesus did. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. And if you trust in that, you can be forgiven. You can be reconciled to God. And if you trust in that, you will be resurrected after you die so that we can live to worship and glorify Christ forever. And if you trust in that, you can now live in the fullness of what you were created for in Christ here on earth. If that's what you want, can I invite you to just put your faith in Jesus Christ today? And let's live from this day forward to bear his image with all that we are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you couldn't stand it that we were in our sins. And so you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us upon the cross so that we might be reconciled back to you. Father, Christianity gets so complicated so often. Church gets complicated. So Lord, teach us how to just focus squarely back upon Christ once again, every single day within our lives, so that we can realize his beauty and his majesty and all that he's about. And the reason why you created this church, the reason why you even created us. And Lord, help us to be focused and to discipline, to focus upon only what you created us for, so that we might operate every single day within the fullness of all you are which we were meant to experience and and we were meant to be filled by so that we might be a church that is faithful, that truly lives out your purposes here on this earth. 
filled with people who are excited to live out your purposes every single day. God, help us, because we need your power to do so. We need your spirit to constantly influence us and to move us to do so. So God, save people within our church. Save people outside of our church. Bring them here. And then teach us all how to live for you and to make this organization all about you and all about Christ and the gospel so that we could live as your image bearers till we get to meet you in the air. We thank you, God, so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.